Welcome to episode number 132 of Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I speak with Steve Keniston, the storage alchemist. And Steve has been a storage industry professional for over 20 years. Steve made his mark at the Enterprise Strategy Group covering topics such as next generation data protection as well as disaster recovery and high availability. And in Steve's current role at IBM, he is a worldwide business development executive for the IBM Spectrum Storage Software Portfolio. Steve is also a professional blogger, podcaster, and noted industry speaker. In this episode, we discuss how to be more cyber resilient, foundations on storage, containers, artificial intelligence, and security as it pertains to more secure backup environments. So let's get right into this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Steve. How are you doing today? I am great, Demetrius. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's it's awesome to to have the storage alchemist on again, and I'm really looking forward to having you turn uh, water into wine or <laughs> dust into gold or whatever you want to morph uh, in this com- conversation that the gumbo listeners can can walk away with more more insight and, and a little smarter than they did before. It, the, how does that sound to you? Sounds great. I'm a big fan of the show and listen a lot. And uh, hopefully we can uh, just keep adding some more value. I like what you're doing, Demetrius. Thanks. I appreciate it. And let, let's start off not so heavy, but maybe you can give us a, a few details about what you're up to right now, what, what you've been doing over the last, uh, I think since the last time I had you on the show, it's probably been over a year or so. Just uh, kind of give us, bring us up to speed what you're doing now and what's, what's cool in your life. <laughs> uh, so th- thank you. So I've been uh, working at IBM, I think as most folks know. And with a heavy focus on figuring out how to take what used to be traditional backup and how do you kind of morph that and evolve it and kind of watch what the industry is doing, but also align it to how you can take technology around data protection and backup and morph it to what the needs of the business are. I mean, we've got all kinds of things that are happening in an organization, whether it be, I mean, you've seen it, cyber threats. Uh, the evolution of cloud and cloud-based applications. Uh, containers is a new big thing these days. But but people also have their traditional capabilities they need to protect. And, and we're also seeing kind of an evolution in that persona about who's responsible or accountable for data protection. And as that evolves, those folks might not be experts in the arena, so they need a little bit more simplicity. So there's kind of all those things, and my, my, my objective is how do you take kind of all that mix, that gumbo, so to speak, right, and sort it out so that we can be helpful and thoughtful and help folks uh, kind of solve their, their protection problems. Yeah, and the hot topic right now, and everyone can scream out security right now, and I remember back in the day, you know, 20 years ago when I when I started in, in the backup and recovery industry, security was something completely different from backing up and storing your data. And, you know, rarely did, did, did the two meet except when you were maybe architecting the environment. But backing up data was just backing up data. But now you really have to take into consideration uh, the, the security aspect of how you are setting that data up and how you're allowing people to access it or not accessing it, and what type of storage is it on? Is it immutable? You know, it's a whole lot of things that go into it. So 
let's maybe start high level at just resiliency overall and maybe just just walk us through um, maybe some of the best practices or things that you've learned over the last you know six months to a year as it comes to security and you know making sure that your uh, environment, especially your backups and your storage environment is just resilient. I think you've made an excellent point, Demetrius, which is in our day, a decade ago, security was all around, all about you know the firewall, keeping that bad actor out. And as you and I both know, over the course of the last 24 months, right, it's been it's been not if, but when they get in, right? So the resilience component is not so much about putting up that wall and letting the folks not get in. The resilience component is about we know they're going to get in. We know they're probably going to wreak some form of havoc. The question is, is how resilient is your environment to A, get up and running to meet your business SLAs, at least the critical components, right? Figuring out, do I need to pay that ransom? That sort of thing, right? Do I have what it takes not to have to do that, right? And um, and traditionally, you're exactly right, right? There, there's never been great communication between the security side of the business and then the, the, the data protection side of the business. And slowly what I've seen, at least over the last, the last year or so, it's really taken a lot to think about, right, this isn't really about the specific technology per se, but do I have a foundational maybe process or, or foundational set of capabilities that provide me that robustness to be able to recover? Well, yeah, th- those are all great points. And if, if we take a step back and we, so I'm not talking backup and recovery right now. So I'm, I'm really just talking about um, this digital transformation that we're all in. And I hate that buzzword, but I keep using it just like everyone else because I've, I've embraced it because it, it really does capture, you know, literally every business today is a data business. They have to have a website. Most of the time, they're running data in the cloud or they're sending data in the cloud, or it is a SaaS-based business. So the world is flat, right, as, as, the, as the book coins. I think it was Thomas Friedman. Thomas Friedman, right? yeah. Uh, great book, by the way. So taking a step back and just maybe laying out like the first things that uh, one should look at, which uh, from my perspective is like just the overall administrative security around, you know, making sure that the only people that can log in are the ones that that really need to have that privilege. And then also being able to monitor, you know, what individuals are doing and being alerted on that. Can you maybe dive a little deeper into just those two aspects and and what you have seen, um, you know, in your current role right now, or maybe even in the past? Sure. Uh, I think I think that that's great, and, and those are you know when I think about it, there are those six key fundamental capabilities. There's the administrative components that you mentioned, the monitoring components, encryption, which is great for the environment. You know, for any environment to kind of keep those bad actors out. You want to make sure you're providing yourself multiple ways to recover because different ones provide different SLAs for the business. You want to be able to make sure that that data, and you mentioned it in, in the beginning, the immutability, the air gapping components, and there's a couple ways to think about that. And then the automation piece, and I'd literally like to explore that after, but but the first two are, are really super key, right? That whole notion that we've been hearing around, and, and I'm, I'm a lot like you, right? You hear these terms and you say, eh, does that really fit? 
But, you know, the, kind of the new one is zero trust, right? And zero trust really comes under that administrative set of capabilities. Who actually has access to the data? Now, there's two schools of thought, right? You can create data, lock everything down, right? But as you said, the world is flat. We're in a digital business, right? People within the organization need access to that data in order to build more competitiveness in their business. So you can't just lock everything down. So ultimately what you need to do is find out how do you build in the flexibility in the policies to allow for making sure it's secure, making sure it's recoverable, but making sure that the people that need access to do their job, right, and fulfill business needs have access to do that. And, you know, part of that is obviously, and, and software has gotten really good about a lot of these things, which is, what are my administrative privileges? Am I tied into LDAP or Active Directory? Are there permissions in there right? Who can access it, right? So, so that's really key. Uh, in addition, a lot of software from an accessibility standpoint are doing things like backup applications, having um, dual uh, authority for things like uh, destructive events. So one person can't come in and delete a container pool, for example, right? It takes kind of two people to turn that nuclear key so people are starting to think more and more about the accessibility. And then the other key you want to be able to have is because, you know, one or two people paying attention to, to you know, threats coming in, it's not enough these days, right? So you want to put in some sort of automated tool or process that says, if you see these things happening in my environment, take certain actions, warn me, make a copy put the data in a mutable volume. There are a lot of things that these automated set of capabilities can help a business do. So on the, on the first two, th that's a lot of what I see. Yeah. And I, I wasn't going to talk about automation this early, but you know, we, we can jump right into it because I think it's a game changer right now in today's age that you automate as much as you can. Number one, because it's, it's going to respond to things that you may not be able to respond to at that particular time. Um, you may be asleep, right? Or you may not even know that something has happened. So being able to automate those processes. And so now backup and recovery and storage and cloud engineers, they also have to know something about automation. Like you don't have to be a developer in order to understand CICD right? Or maybe coding in Python or, you know, whatever scripting language that you, that you um, happen to, you know, fall in love with and utilize. But what, what advice would you give to, let's say, a, a backup and recovery or storage or cloud engineer today that may be shying away from automation and automating things because they think it's going to, you know, kind of automate themselves out of a job? <laughs> I, that, that's that's good thinking, right? Because a lot of times pe people think that, right? When things get easier, what happens? Um, yeah, I mean, of the six key things, automation is usually the last thing that is thought of, and it's where folks tend to not spend as much money as they as they should. Again, you and I, having done this, kind of been in this industry for a long period of time, one of the number one things we say outside of the technology that you purchase is to just practice, practice, practice. You don't know your recovery set of capabilities or how good you can in the, when, when something happens. And especially like a cyber threat and all of a sudden there's mass chaos, right? Human error, always going to happen, right? Um, but automation kind of takes out that human error. And the other nice thing that automation allows you to do is it allows you to do those practice sets without having to, 
you know, the traditional DR test, you know, twice a year, call everybody in on a Saturday, you know, throw the system into chaos and see how it comes back. You don't need to do that anymore, right? A lot of the tools that are out there and available to you are allow you to automate the recovery process of simple things like snap-based backups. And you can test, you know, a division. You can test, you know, a few applications and say, okay, uh, when I come in on Monday or on Friday in this isolated environment, I'm going to have recovered a snapshot, and then I'm just going to test to see, did it come up okay, right? And if it didn't, go to my automation tool and find out, let's switch the processes so it comes up in the right order and things happen correctly. And if it does work, then, then, then you know that when something does happen and you hit that button, do that recovery, You've taken that human error out, and, and things can just happen for you. And what that gives you the ability to do is ensure that you can meet those business SLAs and then have some time to strategize and think about a lot of the things that aren't happening, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I really like that. And you, you touched on a few things. Um, and, and for some reason, I thought about, you know, maybe diving into the cloud, you know, just to segue on that conversation. And uh, the, the hottest thing there you know, at least last year was containers, right? So you, you heard a lot about Kubernetes and, and Docker and, you know, how to run microservices and just how to, how to utilize um, microservice type architectures in order to kind of streamline and make those processes more efficient. Is, is there any insight that you can provide to maybe someone that's thinking about, you know, implementing containers and maybe u- utilizing that functionality, you know, within their own environment. Sure, I, I think I think containers. Uh, step one, containers is going to be a lot like VMware, right? Uh, although I think it's going to have the half life that VMware had. In other words, if it took twenty years to go from five percent uh, virtualized in my environment to now we're at most folks are eighty five, ninety percent. There are some applications you don't virtualize. Containers is going to be the same thing, but I don't think it's going to take 10 years, right? I think it's going to take five years. And the big thing that we see, and maybe advice to the to the infrastructure administrators today around this, is it's the app developers that are really driving the adoption. And they're the ones who have two, two key needs, right? One key need is just, is my data protected in case something happens? And again, back to what we said in the, in the beginning... These are new folks who have thoughts around data protection, but that's not their skill set. That's not their main skill set, right? So, so how do you enable them to, to, to provide them the tools so that they can actually uh, feel like they're protected and safe? And the other thing we're noticing around the, the DevOps teams is that this notion around data reuse, the ability to take a copy of data try a few things, blow it up. I don't even need to, to protect it, but, but take a new copy of production information because I want to make sure as I'm building my application, I'm building to what's out there because I want to get this cycle of you know build, test, and, and implement. How can I do that quickly? Now, a lot of times, and, and DevOps in, in the past was probably the, uh, the database uh, administrator making a copy of his data, and, and the infrastructure team didn't know about it, right? Because I don't think the database administrator really thought they needed to. They were going to kind of work on and build and do whatever they needed to do. But, but that started to cause, you know, we talk shadow IT, we talk data sprawl, we talk about, oh, my God, how do I get this under control? 
Now you have a way that one consolidated location, your backup infrastructure, to be able to reuse information out of that. And it's still tied to your catalog. So now you know where those copies are. And, and the nice thing is, is as those DevOps folks want to use that data, they can. You, as an infrastructure person, know where it is, and you can ask smart questions. Do you want to protect it? Do you want to blow it up? Do you need to, you know, what do you need to do? And I think that takes a conversation between the infrastructure administration team, like like the backup administrator or the storage admin, talking to these folks to, to get an understanding and making sure they have the right tools. And I think I think number one, that's the first big step, right? You got to have that communication piece. Yeah, not not operating as a silo anymore because that's that's an old concept of database team just works on database stuff. Backup guys work on backup stuff. The network team used to be the gods, you know, back in the day. And now it's more of a, a DevOps. The developer is more of the god today because everything is, is virtualized and exactly. it's all digital. Um, you know, switching and routing and literally every component you can point and click to set it up nowadays and automate it, right? Um, so you have to know a little bit about everything. And uh, Steve, one thing that I wanted to dive in now was just to maybe talk a little bit about um, you, you mentioned disaster recovery and being able to automate that. D- do you have any recommendations just around disaster recovery testing and planning and what should they use, right? Should they use a certain automation platform or should they script it? Or um, is there any, any recommendations you can provide to, to anyone that doesn't have a DR uh, platform where they are testing, where they are recovering you know, certain data sets? Um, any advice you can give them? Sure. That, good, good question. I think the, the standard answer when asking questions in IT is the answer is always it depends, right? So you kind of a little uh, need to back up and understand, am I in a virtual environment and am I, am I going down this new container road and uh, what are my containers built on, right? Am I on a Red Hat OpenShift kind of platform uh, and that sort of thing? So, you know, the first thing, actually, that is really, really crucial in figuring out disaster recovery is data classification. And nobody does it. You and I have been talking about this for decades, right? And as data continues to grow, it just gets harder and harder, right? And the reason why you classify that data is because when when something does happen, right, you need to understand, and it doesn't need to be tricky, but you need to understand what's the business critical information, What's the business important information? And then kind of what's everything else, right? And if, if, if uh, folks just kind of classified their information in those three ways, what needs to be up in the next, you know, four hours to make sure the business stays running? What do I have today to figure out? And then kind of, you know, happens as, as can be, right? Um, that's step one, right? Step two, test, test, test. It doesn't matter what your solutions are right? First, just test and recover, right? Just just do that recovery piece. The next piece, as we said before, is automate it. Now, if I'm on a virtual platform, a number of the new data protection solutions, especially this, the, the more modern ones, the ones that take into account snapshotting, things like Spectrum Protect Plus, things like Veeam, things like Rubrik, Cohesity, right? Those snapshot-based capabilities can not only, you can set it up inside those tools to actually provide yourself an isolated environment to be able to do recovery, keep up, keep keep the business running, and jump into that isolated network and kind of test and make sure things worked right, right? 
in the Red Hat environment with the containers, right? Ansible is one of the number one automation tools out there, right? So how can you leverage things like Ansible to help you do that, those automated recoveries? And then you got to figure out when I'm doing that automation, where's the data? How fast can I bring it up? You know, test it, test it, make sure it works, right? If it doesn't, the nice thing about an automation tool is you can kind of go in, drag and drop the order and priorities and that sort of thing. And then say, okay, let's test it again really quick. You know, I don't need to wait another whole week. Right. And then ensure that you can recover. Yeah. And you know what, that, that, that's a really, really, really um, perfect segue into compliance. Right. So whenever I think of data classification, depending on the industry that the gumbo listeners are in, right? So financial services, highly regulated, uh, healthcare, highly regulated. And then you drill down into all these different uh, compliance and regulatory requirements like SOX, Sarbanes, Oxley, and GDPR now, and CCPA, and HIPAA. Um, all, all of these different requirements require uh, an organization and a company to classify their data appropriately, especially if it's sensitive and critical data like, you know, PCI, credit card information or social security numbers or anything like that. W- what do you say to the CIO or the CISO or the CTO that that may still be on the fence with, you know, take, taking a step back and, and having an audit and maybe analyzing the environment to see, you know, if they need to indeed classify that information and classify that data, would you give them any advice in doing that or maybe any best practices or recommendations that you know of? One of the easiest ways to figure out how to, there are, there are two things you want to consider when doing data classification, right? Number one is, and you, you just mentioned all the key ones, right? If you're in a regulated industry, those regulations come with fines and penalties. So, now you can actually assess a value to a data set, right? And so the basic understanding is, what is it going to cost you should something not work properly? Now, that will not work properly means I can't recover it. I can't give it to the auditors. I can't. I mean, there's a lot of things that come with, you know, if it doesn't work properly. But the question is, you know, now, now I have a value, Right. And when I assign a value to a, a segment or, or a few segments of data, the question then becomes, all right, what am I spending to recover it? And, and are those things balancing out? In some cases, a lot of people and we've seen it, you know, it, it's less so now. But in the past, it used to be I'll just pay the fine. Right. But it's getting so critical now in this whole flat world, this data driven world. Right. Those penalties with things like GDPR and PII rules and stuff are getting much, much, much more expensive. So, so tools like backup tools, replication tools, CDP tools, right? Those tend to be a little bit cheaper than having to pay that 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 massive fine. Number one. Um, so, so that's really critical. And the other thing is, what is my business SLA now? Now, whoever runs the business, right, has has dictated. Here's an SLA. They've done it for a reason, hopefully, right? Hopefully they realize this application, this data set, this sort of, if I don't have access to it, it, it costs my business X. So the next thing to do is to find out what is that SLA? Because chances are, if it's a strict SLA, it's really important data. Now, I and IT might not understand why that particular database is so important, but that's not my job. My job is to kind of really make sure I can help people have access to that information, right? 
that's step one and two, right? Take a look at those two things and then, and then understand. And, and then, then what you need to do is when you kind of have an understanding of what's number one, what's number two, what solutions are you going to use to be able to protect them, right? If some businesses, their solution one might be a 24-hour recovery window. Well, depending on data size, you could back that up to tape. You get your air gapping, you get everything else, right? Some businesses are, it's got to be back in an hour. Well, that's not a backup tool, or at least it's not a backup tool to tape or, or a streaming media solution to tape, right? A traditional net backup or TSM or something like that. That's more of a snapshotting tool, right? So you need to think about what solution per SLA you would use. And that's where a lot of times, and we've seen it, a lot of folks have multiple different backup solutions in their environment. That's okay. You need the right tool for the right job. And, um, you know, all, all great points there. And I, I recommend Gumbo listeners, you know, re- reach out to to the storage alchemist to to tap a little more into that because he's very knowledgeable about these sort of things. Also, one thing that I wanted to make sure that I uh, got your 2022 predictions, especially for the rest of this year. And it can't be COVID related. You can't say, oh, yeah, it's going to be the Zeta variant. You can't say that. All right, because we already know it might be. So what, what, what are your predictions for 2022 and 2023, just in the storage world and this digital world we're living in right now? I, have, I did a, a few predictions on my podcast, and, you know, they're okay. But I think the big thing that is going to happen that we all need to be prepared for is that what people think of as online immutable storage today is going to quickly evolve because the hackers are extremely smart. And sooner or later, that object storage that you thought was un, you know, was tamper-proof, it's not going to be. They're going to figure out a way to scramble the data, delete the data, screw up the data, something, worm storage or something. And, and because it's online, it doesn't have that true physical air gap like tape provides, right? All of a sudden... Everyone is going to be scrambling to figure out how do I how do I make sure I'm not in that space where where I thought my data was okay, right? But it's not okay. And I think my prediction is we're going to see this year some business who thought their data was immutable. It's not really wasn't really immutable, mm. and that's going to start to spread. Wow, you probably probably can take that one to the bank because <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're hearing hearing stories all the time. Um, and I, I knew that, you know, ransomware attacks and just cyber cybersecurity overall uh, and dealing with threats uh, as a result of COVID was a big deal when, when the president of the United States started making claims about, you know, cybersecurity and throwing dollars to lock down, you know, just the overall nation's infrastructure. So uh, it's definitely a, a key, a key thing for you know, gumbo listeners to number one, pay attention to. And, you know, if that's not an area that, that you specialize in, you, you still have to know a little bit about uh, how do you secure your own environment and better yet, the data that you're protecting because you are responsible for it. W- one other question and then, and then maybe, maybe another one and then, you know, we'll, we'll cut out. But I want to ask you right now, w- what are you reading and um, maybe a, a book recommendation for, for the Gumbo listeners. Let me see. What am I reading? There's a, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I, I just finished this one 
called No Margin for Error. And this is kind of the book that was foundationally what Top Gun was built for. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the new Top Gun coming out this year just because I think it's, it's interesting. But it was Israeli pilots, pretty true story, but pretty exciting, pretty interesting story. Um, so that's what I'm reading. Yeah, and if you guys could see it, it, lo- it looks like it's about a thousand pages long. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not a quick, it's not a quick, no, quick read. It's not, not that bad. <laughs> it's only about, uh, it's only about 400 pages. Yeah, that's, that's, that's up there, Steve. And I guess you can speed read it and maybe get through it in a week or two, right? I think it took me a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the hardest book I struggled with trying to read the entire thing, I think, was Mandela's book, A Long Walk to Freedom. Ooh, yeah. That book was long. I mean, it was it was a very heavy book, and I, I just couldn't read it all in one sitting, and it, it it was a lot of pages. So It's hard when you're busy as you and I are to to grab that time and sit down and then, and then you got to kind of remember and put it all together. That's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Cool. So I, I appreciate that book recommendation. And I also want one more introspective question. It, it's not a technical one. Um, and I don't think I, I asked you this question on the last show. Uh, so he, here goes. If you had an opportunity to travel back in time, what would you say to your 16 year old self? Something that that you didn't know then that you know now. <laughs> that is a good question. Um, <laughs> I would I would tell myself to uh, if I was going to have a career to have a career in storage. Now you might laugh because you say you do have a career in storage, but at the time I had no idea what this was about, and who knew back when we were sixteen that data what's going to be more valuable than money, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I feel, I feel pretty lucky to have stumbled into, into this career. I've met a lot of fantastic people. Um, and it's, it's, you can have conversations around data right. um, all day long with anyone, right? Even my, my niece, 12 years old, wrote a book and published it by herself wow. on Amazon. Now, when I was 16 or when we were we couldn't do that, right? No. Look at where the world has come to, right? right? And it's all around, you know, data and the ease of data movement and migration and protection. And I mean, well, yeah, I that, feel pretty lucky. That's an awesome story. And um, congratulations to your niece for t- taking that step at, at such a young age. And uh, it's, it's huge. I, I push my children. Um, I, I don't push them to try to accomplish something so quick and fast I, I just pushed them to take take that one baby step and I, I let them know that hey the knowledge the information is at your fingertip you're walking around with the most powerful computer in your hand right don't spend all of your time just on watching these cat videos and um, in these YouTube videos, these TikTok videos where you just, you know, oh, this is hilarious, you know, you know, take control of your time, you know, tap into your spirit as to what you want to do and what you want to accomplish and start researching that and watching videos about that. So I, I think it's great advice. And, and I just love your comment, Steve. So also, before I let you go, you can go ahead and uh, maybe tell everyone about your your podcast and your website and, you know, anything else that you want to share, maybe from a social aspect. Oh, great. Thanks, Demetrius. First, first I want to say thank you very much. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan 
Uh, I love the the content that comes out of your podcast. Um, we do a, a podcast called the Spectrum Cast, and it just recently uh, we added it to the uh, Apple uh, podcast uh, segment. So you could you can find it there, or you can find it on thestoragealchemist.com. Uh, there, it's a, it's basically a blog site, and we do a lot of blogs. But we all we put all the all the podcast videos inside there. So I appreciate you letting me letting me mention. Absolutely, that. everyone, go go and check out um, thestoragealchemist.com. Also, take a listen to Steve's podcast as well. Uh, great content there, uh, and great conversations as well. So, Steve, uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you for coming on Data Protection Gumbo. Demetrius, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.